Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Open up your Bibles, if you will. Open up to uh, Numbers. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll get there. Leviticus. Leviticus 10. Okay, so uh, we're working on this uh, pursuing holiness for this month. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, holiness is a serious thing. It's, uh, it's who God is. It's not just, it's an, it's an attribute. Yeah, but it, it's actually who and what he is. He goes nowhere without being holy. You know, it's not like God just, uh, God's going to come down, but he's going to leave his holiness in heaven. Uh, no, he doesn't, when God comes, he comes as who he is, and he is holiness. Uh, as we talked about last week, the seraphim that are the six-winged creatures that are fluttering around him <coughs> are shouting, uh, holy, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, right? So they're shouting that throughout eternity, and we talked about last week as well too those things uh, do not have sinned right they haven't sinned so they are sinless creatures who are floating around and because uh, we have sin we don't know anything about life except sin because we were born into it right we you can't escape the sinfulness of who you are even if you come out and try and be the nicest person you can possibly be you're born in sin so you can't escape the sin nature that's inside you and so the difference is and what you're dealing with the world today is is you've got a world that's saying you're basically born good and there's good in you somewhere and you just got to be the best you you can be right and and hang on that but actual that biblical christianity does not support that at all As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, have they not? Right. How? Because they were born in sin. And if you're born in sin and you're born imperfect, you're never going to please perfection. Right? Sinful man can never please a perfect God. This is why you're having all these revivals that are starting in, you know, the Great Awakenings, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God type of thing. Why? It sounds kind of mean. It sounds kind of rough. It sounds kind of harsh. You know, why do you have to be so harsh? Why do you have to be so... Because His holiness is real. And we offend His holiness just because of how we were born, because of our sinfulness. It offends His holiness. We also know that he is love. <clears throat> this is how you know that God is really awesome because his holiness and his love are, are on equal footing, which is why love can pacify holiness through the sacrifice of Christ. So you can't even pay for your own offense. There's nothing you can do to make God pl happy with who you are except through Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. I don't know if you knew that. We say that a lot of times in the church, but there comes sometimes a separation by, in, between what we say and, and how we live. Ever notice that? Some people call it hypocrisy. And by the definition it is, but we're all hypocrites. So, so don't, let, don't, let these, don't let people who've never been in the church tell you how the church should run. Oh, you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, thank you. We knew that come join us <clears throat> you know I, I, I get kind of tired of this this people outside the church really dogging the bride sometimes because they've they've never some have maybe been a part of it and maybe got hurt well welcome to the human race you don't have to be in the church to hurt people but the church is the place where if if things are working good that even if you do get hurt there's amends and restoration and healing and forgiveness for it Okay, and so <clears throat> there's not really that out in the world. People say they forgive, but they, they don't, and that's evident in the conversations that come up through sitting around the campfire or sitting around the, the coffee table or whatever. Okay, <clears throat> so when we're talking about our holiness, we, we have to first understand who we are as mankind. You were created, okay, but you're not a son and daughter. 
unless you've gone through Christ. Christ is the one that grafts you into a child of God. Again, why am I saying this? This, I'm, this is review, okay? Why am I saying this? Because this is what the Bible says. If you, if you go through Romans, if you go through Galatians, you can't escape the idea <coughs> of what Paul is talking about when he's talking about uh, being adopted into the kingdom of God. Well, how can you be adopted if you already born a son? You weren't born a son. You weren't born a daughter. You were a creation, but you don't get inheritance of son and uh, sonship or being a daughter unless it's through Christ. Okay? Christ is the, the Christ becomes your brother. <clears throat> He's a good guy too. I don't know if you if you've been introduced to him today, but Jesus is good. So we're talking about holiness, and so we're gonna we're gonna go through a little bit of the Old Testament. Um, there's surprisingly not a whole lot of difference when you come to the holiness of God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we can look at the Old Testament and say, "Thank God we're not there anywhere." But you have to understand that God hasn't. That type of thinking is what confuses the world into thinking there's two separate gods. The outside world looks at the Bible and says, I don't see the God in the Old Testament to be the same as the God in the New Testament. Where do they get that from? Not because they've really read it, but because it's being demonstrated through Christianity as so. Because for, in, in some way, shape, or thinking, we leave the Old Testament, we walk into the New Testament, and we're like, oh, it's all Jesus, man. I don't got to do nothing. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Thank God I don't got to live back in that stuff again. No, see, that's, <clears throat> you're not understanding um, that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, which is the Old Testament, as he is today, which is now, as he will be in the future and when we see him. He is the same God. So when we took up, talk about the things of holiness, we can go throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and understand that his holiness does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It is just as serious and is and it should be as it was as serious for for the apostles and first century church people it should be serious for us today it should not be paralyzing in legalism okay i'm not talking legalism because there's freedom in christ so i'm not talking legalism i'm talking a healthy respect of the holiness of god his perfect holiness and then the practical holiness of of how does that work itself out into my everyday life as a believer well, let's look at some things uh, in, in the Bible that I think are important. In, in Leviticus chapter 10, we have uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Oh, they didn't get picked on in school, did they? Okay. All right. <clears throat> Here's what they did. They put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed out forth from the Lord in the presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bad enough. You know, I, I can imagine being Aaron and, and seeing your sons who have disobeyed the Lord right in front of him. Okay? The glory of, of the Lord is there and, and they're living. It, it, it's not about a mistake. <laughs> They didn't trip and fall and put and, and wrong incense and coals and wrong fire got there. They did this. And, and I believe the reason why is, is that sometimes we have the, the capability, to be, capability to be casual in front of God. As if things don't matter. Right? And so here's an essence of being casual, being disobedient. Yeah, you know, he said this, but this is good enough. Just, just do it. You ever had that go through your mind when you're working on, when you're working on something and you're, it's been long and all of a sudden like, oh man, this is good enough. We, you know, we're working on a fence. We're doing, at least it's standing. It may be standing like this, but I'm tired and it's good enough and blah, right? Or you're working on, on something in your house and <clears throat> it's been frustrating. And you get to that point where, you want to do shortcuts because you just want to get this thing over and you want it to be done with. And the problem is, is shortcuts will reveal themselves in your work. And shortcuts will reveal themselves in your faith as well too. Okay? So shortcuts aren't the best way to live your life. I, uh, uh, 
I was born under a curse. I don't know if you all knew this, but uh, it was a curse of the Harmon family, and it was usually the curse of what we'd call Murphy's Law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong, especially if you're trying to do something, right? So you're trying to, you're trying to build something, and, well, that's going to take me five times longer than I ever thought it would, or this kind of, all this kind of stuff. And so because of that, you're trying to do everything you can to fight against that Murphy's Law, which is actually Murphy's Curse. We rebuke that. But anyway, um, it's there. And so it becomes easy when you're facing opposition and things become tough in what you're working on to do what you can do to get the job done at the point of shortcuts. The problem is, is, is it's, it's not that... Where does that come from? It comes from the heart. And when we, we start to do shortcuts in, in our physical realm, it's, it's because we've been doing shortcuts probably in our spiritual heart. Sometimes in regard to who God is, sometimes in regards to integrity. Shortcuts are never good. And, and we've all done it. There's not anybody who can stand up here and please don't trust me because we're talking about the fire of God. So there's not anybody that can stand up here and say they've never taken shortcuts, <laughs> right? I'm reading about Nadab and Abihu, okay? So let's, don't trust it. <laughs> don't test it. Not here. <clears throat> I mean, we got insurance, but I'd rather not have to use it. Okay. So uh, we've, all, we've all taken shortcuts here or there. So I'm not talking about, like, I'm talking about the course of your heart, the pattern, the course of your faith, the pattern of, of how you live your life. It should not be about the easiest and quickest way because that's not where God is at, all right? Okay, so Nadab and Abihu are, are doing some things and I, I, I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking, no, nah, it seems to be a whole, maybe they got a little casual <clears throat> because in Exodus 24, starting in verse one, when God calls uh, Moses and Aaron and the elders up, Nadab and Abihu are mentioned right there, are coming up. They're coming up with the elders. That God is renewing is is doing the covenant thing. So everybody's there. There's, I mean, there's, there's holiness everywhere, <laughs> in the presence of Almighty God. So it's not like you know this is the first time we made a mistake. No, they have been around. They have watched. They have seen. But something is happening in this moment, and now there's going to be an example made of them about being casual and disobedient in the presence of Almighty God. It didn't work so well for Satan either. And so as they're, they're going through this, you know, not only do you see your sons consumed with fire, right, and, and, and die before the presence of the Lord and you and Aaron, all of a sudden, here's the I told you so, or the, uh, his, of Moses, he's like, ah, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. Like, ah, so that's what he was talking about. What does he mean? Where is this, where is this, what's, what's this coming to? Well, I'll tell you, in, in looking through some of this, um, they did their strange fire. Moses uses this incident to explain what the Lord was saying here in verse 3. The glory and the holiness of the Lord on display <coughs> and how it works itself out. It also is going to depend, I think, on the obedience of the people. So the, the glory of the Lord is going to come and the glory of the Lord is going to be put on display, right? But how is it going to be put on display may depend on where you're at with this idea of the holy fear and regard of who God is. This is not going to be the only time that people are going to be consumed by fire. And, and holiness, and, and when people are responding to the holiness of God as, as how they should, right? When the glory of God comes and the smoke fills the temple, and remember, God doesn't come without his holiness. And sacrifices have been made on behalf of the people in the Old Testament and the glory of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord hid it in Solomon's time. Guess what happens? People, the priests can't even do anything else in, in the glory. You can't, I, I don't think you can separate glory from holiness. You can't compartmentalize God, right? 
And so when, when, when his glory comes, it comes with his holiness. And, and when the people are responding right, they're seeing this, how, how can I describe it, right? I wasn't there. But from what I read in the words, it was, it was amazing. They were seeing something supernatural. As the fire comes and consumes the sacrifice and then the glory of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord fill the temple and the people are just amazed and they're laying, you know, face down before the glo- glory of the Lord and the priest can't even do anything else because they're just in the glory of the Lord and that's a beautiful and awesome and, and, and wonderful thing. Now we know that Jesus now in the New Testament is our high priest, thank God, but we also have been called a priesthood of believers. <coughs> okay? And so... <coughs> We know that when the holiness comes and, and it is invited, you know, where is your heart at with that? I, 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 I'm not saying that uh, if you're not perfect that God's just going to light you on fire. But a lot of times we're praying at different times, God, light me on fire in the right way. You know what I'm saying? God, put a fire in me. Put a fire in me. Why isn't it happening? Maybe it's because we have to check our heart with what we're really asking and how we're really, what we're really asking for and how we're really living. Maybe God withholding the fire of who he is is a protection for you until we come under the right understanding of the holiness of who he is. Something to think about. Because it's a very serious thing. It's not... You know, it's not something to live in. in I, I don't think it's something to live in adject, paralyzing fear. But it's something that should never leave my mind and my heart in, in my reverence to him. I, I don't want to be casual before him. I'll just put it that way. Okay. <clears throat> so listen. Uh, so Moses calls uh, Mishael and Elizaphan, Aaron's cousins, and uh, Aaron's uncle, Uncle Azale. And they said to him, come forward, carry away the bodies of the relatives from in front of the sanctuary and place them outside the camp. They came forward, picked them up by their garments and carried them out of the camp just as Moses commanded. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithmar, do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die and the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. Seems a bit rough. Doesn't it? This is holiness. You see, Aaron has been called, and and his group of people, certain Levites and stuff, have have been called to minister before the Lord. Do you begin to understand the serious of ministering before the Lord? It's like they had, they had, they had just seen their sons be disobedient, and so. Um, as I'm researching this, one of the things that comes by that kind of makes sense with me that I was reading was, is that it would if they would have shown grief and torn their clothes, it, it might have reflected that they believed that the, George, the Lord's judgment was not right. Or the Lord was not just in what he did. So it's like, you, you keep your hair combed, keep everything, and, and do what you got to do before the Lord. Because you just saw the justness of the Lord display itself out. All right. Let's uh, move into uh, uh, numbers. Um, There's nobody who's excluded from this, okay? Um, Not everybody is called into high level of leaderships, but but those who are called into leaderships, especially you know, platform in, in teaching and stuff like you. I'm, I'm not exempt from, from uh, the seriousness of my call. Um, those who are called into leadership, I, I think there's, you know, this, James, let not many of you become teachers. Why? Because they're of the stricter judgment. Why? Because you better be walking out these things that you're teaching, not just for you to be an example, but because of who you're teaching for, who you're teaching about. That, what is up there, should be rock solid in here as I'm teaching. And again, here's the caveat. I, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. There's only one who did that. I, we, we are human. We are going to make mistakes, and there's grace for that. But I'm talking about the pattern of our lives, of what we accept in our ministering to the Lord as casual. 
And what I'm saying is that we should not allow that to be there. It should not be okay for us to, to uh, well, you know, <clears throat> the Lord told me to do this, but I'll get to it later type of stuff. We can't not have that type of attitude. That's the casualness I'm talking about, the disobedience that I'm talking about when it comes to ministering to the Lord. And I think the more the opportunities that you're given through your gifts and your callings, whether it's platform or whatever else, I think what has to grow alongside this is as you, as you begin to uh, minister before the Lord to people from his place, the, the, the range of disobedience as, as, as the Lord elevates you like this, disobedience has got to go like this. And you say, well, Steve, I'm not perfect. I get that, but you serve a perfect one. And so as you grow in leadership, you're growing in faith and you're growing in Christ-likeness. And so something's got to deplete. And what needs to deplete is, is my opportunities to disobey what he says. See, and that relies here in my heart. That, that becomes the choice that, that I get to make when, in response to what he's calling me to. The invitation that he's had as, as to come and, and dwell with me and, and come and come on up or, you know, the offerings and the things that the Lord is giving to me. He's rest- one thing he's restoring me is my, is my will to choose again. See, after Adam and Eve, I didn't have a choice anymore, did I? I couldn't go back to the Garden of Eden. Don't even know where it's at. I'm not allowed to go back into that same type of fellowship that Adam and Eve had uh, just in and of myself because of, of the offense, right? And, and Romans explains that wonderfully, right? Through one man, sins comes into the world, through Adam, all have sinned. But through Christ, all have been made alive again, right? So Christ then restores to me that place of being seated in the heavenlies with him all that everything is opened again but the one thing that has been restored to is is my my decision will I choose it again see I, you are never left without a choice I'm sorry we live in a world that we've surrounded uh, surrounded us in choice uh, some of you got to decide where you're going to eat after today, after Steve hurry up and gets done right what am I going to have to eat today? How am I going to get there? What are we going to do? Our, your whole life is surrounded by decisions, but sometimes when we come to theology, it's like, I don't have a choice. He's so sovereign, I can't even choose. No. He's so, he is so sovereign that your choices do not affect his sovereignty. That's the key. It's not that... Uh, God is so sovereign that he can't allow you, but he's not quite sovereign enough that he can't let you make your own decisions. It's that he is so sovereign and he's, he gets his way no matter what, no matter what you choose. And that's evident throughout the Bible. There are many people that he called that were his first choice that chose not to do it, and so the second choice came up. And so what he's restored to you is this is this place like back in the garden of eating of eden garden of eating i'm, I'm kind of hungry so there's a lot of fruit there people i'm telling you just stay away from the one tree just one tree okay but he restores you i i think that he restores you to that place of of garden of eden type place where it's not a place on the earth so much anymore as, as what has been the garden that's been created inside of you and the choice of whether you'll choose him and choose life or not <clears throat> And does he have plans and callings? Yes. So what happens when you choose no to the plans and callings that he has? Think of someone else. There is always somebody up in the batter's box. He's sovereign. <clears throat> and so when you look at, uh, and, and I think you see this throughout the Bible. So I don't believe, I believe in the entire, I, understand, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Wholeheartedly. But I also believe in the free choice of mankind wholeheartedly. And I don't believe the Bible teaches one without the other. I don't believe it ever did. But I believe that sometimes when you get extremes of people that are preaching one side over here, it's like, man, you mess up once and you got to go back to the altar because he's erasing your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Every time you have a dirty thought, you're out. Fire God's going to fall on you. Jesus, come back at any minute. See, the stream over here is producing all types of fear. All types of paralyzing fear. And over here, it's like, hey, man, 
God is so sovereign. You said a little prayer, you know, got down on your knees, said, I guess I believe you. That's good. You can live however you want from now on. It doesn't matter. He's so sovereign. He's just, that's just one little prayer. Doesn't matter anymore. I've heard that garbage too. And I, I, I at, the sea, at, at, the, at the ends of this, it's kind of a blasphemous lifestyle on either extreme. It really is. <clears throat> One says that God's holiness is just waiting to destroy you for any little thing you do. The other is saying there's no such thing really as holiness anymore because it doesn't matter how you live. I don't think that's the truth. I think it's right down the center. I think good theology is, is recognizing that God is speaking about both these things and I'm not going to accept one and deny the other. I'm going to take both these concepts of free will and sovereignty of God. And uh, one of the professors that I had in um, uh, Trinity down in uh, Indiana, he was a Dallas theological guy, seminary guy, wonderful, nice guy. He was like, you know, he's like, I see an anvil in heaven and I see a rod of free will and I see a rod of sovereignty and God just fashions them together how God does it. But he says you can't, you can't escape either one of them because they're both there. <clears throat> Numbers 20, if you look at this, here's, would you, if he's not in your top five, would you at least say that Moses is probably a, a pretty good guy in, as far as Bible figures go? Right? I mean, he should probably be in your top five. I mean, if he's not, you may not be going to heaven. I don't know. Anyway, so just kidding. So Moses has got to be probably in one of your top fives of people. I mean, he's, you, you look at Moses. Uh, um, he's, I mean, Abraham should be there, right? There's three faiths in the world that claim Abraham, for crying out loud. So he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. He's, he's, you know. Moses is right there. There's probably three faiths that look at him and would accept him as three major faiths that look at him and accept him as a prophet in their faith. That would be us. That would be uh, Jews. And that would be Muslims. Okay, so Moses is, is, is up there when it comes to, you know, popularity and, and stuff. And, but, but Moses doesn't even escape the holiness of God. I mean, if there's any, ever anybody that you would think gets a pass on a mistake everything that Moses, for crying out loud, has been through. I mean, let's talk about this for a second, right? Uh, <clears throat> murders a guy, runs away, um, living on the backside of the desert, 40 years. God comes to him in a burning bush. Uh, now you're going to go back and you're going to uh, lead my, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and, you know, let my people go type of thing, right? You're going to say these things and I'm going to be with you. Moses has a little, I mean, I would have think if the guy was going to be struck down, he would have struck down in front of the burning bush when he had his questions of saying why he couldn't do it. But no, he still made it. See, that was holiness of God. This is why he was told to take off his sandals. It's not that you can't have questions. That's not that. It's not that. But we're going to see about what it really is. So, so he's going to go back. He's, he's going to get Aaron to come with him, you know, and they're going to go back and they're going to let my people go, right? He's going to proclaim all the, the plagues of Egypt and finally they're moving out. And, you know, he's going, to, he's going to part the Red Sea with his stick. Um, he's going to, they're going to walk through on dry ground. Three days later, the people are going to be moaning and complaining. Have you ever in your life led people like that? Yes, you have. You want to know why? Because that's what people are. Grumblers and complainers. You can't look at the Israelites in, in our day and say, I'm glad I'm not them. Listen, you have met the enemy and he is you. <laughs> okay? You are grumblers and complainers. I'm a grumbler and complainer. I have that possibility because I, when you grumble and complain to me, I'm like, I'm going to grumble and complain to God, and blah, blah, blah. And all this. It's just this vicious cycle, right? Let, just being honest. <clears throat> we grumble and we complain. It's not the way I thought it was supposed to be and all these different kinds of stuff. And we get the, we get the you know, 50-year-old, 2-year-old out coming out of us of not getting our way and grumble and complain. And I have grumbled and complained to God about many things in my life while I'm sitting in the middle of his blessing. 
while you're walking through your Red Sea on dry ground, complaining, well, there's a little puddle right there. I mean, think about it, really. I was in the middle of grumbling one time about something. I don't even know what it was. And then I became very aware of my surroundings. Seriously, everything that I've been blessed with. My, my wonderful family, what he's called me to do, the place where I live, all, all these different kinds of things. I'm, I, I became visually aware and sensory aware that I was complaining to God in the midst of, of amazing blessing. And I began to walk back the grumbling. You know what I'm saying? And so <clears throat> Moses is having to lead these people that are at every turn it's not like what it was in Egypt. Right? Throwing their hissy fits. Did you bring us out here to die? We don't have any water. We don't have any food. I want meat. Right? Seriously. These, this, this, is, this is two to three million people that are acting like two-year-olds. I want this. I want that. We're going to die. In the midst of seeing everything that God had done in Egypt to bring them out, they did not have the faith to believe that he who brought them out in the midst of his glory and his power and his holiness would all of a sudden not take care of them in the midst of a desert or believe that there was a future for them. Think about the seriousness seriousness of that. I don't believe, oh, he may have brought us through the Red Sea, but I don't see any water. He's telling about a land full of milk and honey, but I don't see it. And when the spies go out, all we, we lie about it. Oh, they're so big. Oh, it's so we, there's no way we can do it. Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> I'm glad you guys don't do that today, right? But we sit on this level of superiority as Christians and believe that we're different. All right. The superiority of Christianity has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He's the one that's superior. Okay, so here's what Moses does. All right, well, we got this water thing going on again, right? In the 20th month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin. And, uh, Sin, excuse me, mine's pronounced with a Z. (coughs) And they camped her at Kadesh while they were there. Miriam died and was buried. And there was no water for the people to drink at the place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and the people blamed Moses and Aaron and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with our livestock? Why did you not leave us in Egypt and bring us excuse me, to this terrible place? The land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, no water to drink. <clears throat> Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And he said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water and you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Okay, I'm thinking that must be one big rock. Because let's look on the low side of this. There's roughly 2 million people. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. It's a gusher, right? <laughs> all this water. So what's going to happen here? <clears throat> well, as you're looking through all this, Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where the Lord had kept it before. Then he and Aaron summoned the people uh, to come together and to the rock. And he says, listen, you rebels, he shouted, Must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice. That's not what God said, did he? The Lord said, speak to it. There was a time before that he was supposed to strike it, and he did. So, you know, did he have a senior moment? Just, you know, kind of reflecting back, well, uh, just strike it. It doesn't matter. Speak to the rock, strike it. I, hit the rock. You know? There comes a moment in leadership where you're going to 
or in not just in leadership, but just, just your everyday life, where you're going to have these type of decisions of whether you're going to do exactly what the Lord has asked you to do, you're going to be maybe around the ballpark, or you're not even going to hit the target. And that's what lies in your decision-making process of whether you will, be, you will do what the Lord has asked you to do, whether you're, you know, you're kind of around there. Moses was kind of around there, right? He had a staff. There was a rock. He knew water would come out of it. Does it really matter whether I speak to it or I hit it? <clears throat> yeah, it does. It mattered to God. And it mattered so much that Moses and Aaron were not going to enter the promised land because of it. That's holiness, baby. That's the holiness of God. Um, <clears throat> so, but the grace side of God is he still allowed the water to come out. Water is flowing. People are drinking. You know, uh, the cattle are drinking. Everything's getting their, their fill of water. But the Lord said to Moses, because you did not trust me enough. Because you did not trust me enough to listen to this, to demonstrate my holiness among the people. You hear the seriousness of that? <clears throat> His action, what the Lord's saying, because, you know, we can look at Moses and say, I wonder what he was thinking. But the Lord knew exactly what he was thinking and why he did not speak to the rock and struck it instead. He said, because you did not trust me. You thought that if you struck it, there'd be something more than just speaking it. You thought that you had to do a little something extra of your own works to make my holiness complete among the people. And the disobedience that you showed did exactly the opposite. <coughs> Not necessarily to the people, but to the relationship between him and the Lord. I don't even knew, know if the people knew anything that was going on. They just wanted water. I'm thirsty. Right? Move the rock, whatever you got to do. Right? The Lord said, speak to it. Moses decided to strike it. Doesn't seem like a big deal to me. I probably would have struck the rock. I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm not going to superimpose a sense of Christian superiority over the Old Testament that would make people think that I would probably do something different in those circumstances. Because I'm telling you that I can be just as fleshy as anybody else. There's, there's a choice in me to decide how I'm going to react to what the Lord says. Now, hey, I'm in progress, like all of you. And I, I, I would love to be able to say 100% that I would speak to that rock, and it would do it. And some of you would like to say, I would have spoken to that rock. The truth and the, of, of that is, what have you done in the past in your life? How well have you trusted in the past things? There's where you can tell if you were in this situation whether you would have spoke to the rock or whether you would have struck it. Because you've all been in that place. You may not have been leading two million people. They may not have been complaining to you about water. And there may not have this weird kind of rock sitting there that water's going to come out of in that type of situation. But nobody here in this room can say that they've never been in a place where they've had to choose whether they were going to do exactly what the Lord's going to say, whether they're going to do kind of what the Lord says and have a backup plan or... <laughs> that's a whole other message backup plans <clears throat> or whether you're just going to disobey it we've all had those things I'm on pursuit to speak to the rock I'm, I'm in pursuit of, of not having to strike anything and I think the New Testament Jesus is uh, is hinting towards this and a lot of the things he's talking about when he's, when he's saying he didn't say hit the mountain he didn't say strike the mountain he said speak to the mountain because there is power in the declaration of faith in the man or woman of God that when what the declaration meets your faith that it goes out in the power of the Lord to accomplish its purpose and it demonstrates the holiness of God through that declaration. He's like, why didn't you trust me enough to just speak to the rock? For I would have demonstrated my holiness among 
the people with it. So he's like, you're not going to leave them. You're not going to lead them into that promised land anymore. You ever wonder sometimes, (laughs) I mean, just in the humanness of Moses, like, I don't know. He went through a lot. Okay, lest you think this is just about the Old Testament and that God has changed some way with how he deals with people, in Acts chapter 5, we have this Ananias and Sapphira thing going on. Do we not? We always wonder in the, when you come to that is what do you do with that? Because it's, it's Ananias and Sapphira. And it's like God is not like consuming everybody with fire who disobeys him. But there's, here we are. We're, we're, you know, we're living in freedom. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is among us. And it, there's a reason why it's called the Holy Spirit. Emphasis on the holy. Okay, it is the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit what it is, is what it is. Holiness is what it is. All right. So a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property, he brought, it for, he brought the money to the apostles, claiming that it was the full amount. <clears throat> with his wife's consent, they kept the rest. <clears throat> Peter said, Ananias, why, is, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Uh, see, guys, <clears throat> I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to say it's always this way, but I'm, I'm just going to throw out, because 99% of all statistics are probably 50% correct. So I'm going to throw out a statistic there for you and say about 99% of the time, Satan is in the plan B. Because plan B was to hold some of the money back and just keep it for just a rainy day. The problem was, is it wasn't wrong for him to do that. The problem was is the lie about it and what Satan had filled him with. Satan wasn't filling him with, hey, maybe you should keep, you know, just a little bit of that money back. What Satan was filling him with was unbelief and saying, you better keep some of this money back and don't tell anybody. You just keep it to yourself, but you don't tell anybody. Just tell them you gave everything, but you know that it may get tough. You may be out in the middle of the desert somewhere, and maybe God's not going to be around because he's got a lot of stuff to do in the world, and you're gonna, you don't want to die. You don't want to have a plan B. <clears throat> you want to be prepared in case what? In case God fails you. That's, that's what the plan B is here. I don't believe that God is really going to do what he says, but I kind of like being around the tricks. I kind of like being around seeing people get raised from the dead or healed or Peter and Paul handkerchiefs and shadows healing people. That stuff is really cool. That stuff, that stuff is, does not sustain you. The commitment of following the Lord is what sustains you. Okay? Those things are, those things are, the, are awesome. They're wonderful. I want more of it. But it is, the, it, is the, it is the frosting of the cake. The cake is the commitment part. The cake is to say, hey, listen, you know what? No plan B. No plan B. This is what he said. This is what I'm going to do. And even if he doesn't heal anybody through my hands, or even if I never get a prophetic word, or even if I never get any other kind of stuff, here is where I'm launching my boat from, and that is where I'm going. <clears throat> I've set my focus to go in this direction, and I'm not going to have a plan B for it. Now, you know he's going to do all that stuff. He does. My goodness, he, he never, the Holy Spirit never comes without gifts. But the gifts are not about to make me happy. The gifts are about to display the holiness and the goodness of who God is in the midst of that situation, which is why you never want to be casual when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because as Nahab and Abihu or Moses speaking to the rock, we, we want to treat the Holy Spirit as it is what it is, holy. Which means that I'm in the midst of something I want to make sure. Now, listen. You know that there's, you know, let, let's just say God is. Let's just say God is going to break out in this place. He's going to touch people and stuff like that. But you know that, you know what's going to come along with that? The tears, counterfeits. You're not going to have the real stuff without having to deal with the counterfeits. It's just the way. And if you're so afraid of the counterfeits that you don't embrace the, the real stuff of God, you got a problem. That's actual a lack of maturity. 
I mean, what, what are you going to do? You're going to fold a, in, in every opposition that comes your way? Or are you going to be like what some people, God told me this here. Oh, but then he changed his mind and God told me something different over here. No, 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 no. Somewhere you were wrong. Somewhere you were wrong. And you got to figure out, it's like, was I wrong at the first point because I knew what he said here, but the opposition was so, I got scared and I, I didn't have, I didn't have, I was too weak and whatever, and so then I just jump over. And, no, 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 no. At least be honest with yourself. Because being honest with yourself is the first step of being restored to where God has called you to be. Yes. So being honest with myself says, you know what, God called me over there and I failed. I failed. <clears throat> And uh, I don't want to fail anymore. I want to be forgiven by God. And if I was leading anybody, I want to ask their forgiveness. So you want to know why we're you want to know why we're afraid to ask for forgiveness of our mistakes? Is because the rest of us have not been really clothed with the grace of the Lord to restore people back to their place. We are so good at throwing people away because they failed us. Okay bring it back all right so uh satan filled his life his with with unbelief and when you live in unbelief what are you going to do you're gonna lie how am i lying? how am i how am i lying just like they did they were lying to the holy spirit they're lying to everybody they said they were in they said they were with it to the end they said, this is, this is where we're going to... And it came to be out that it wasn't. And because they lied, they were made an example of in front of the holiness of Almighty God. Look at what Peter says. Listen, it was your money. The property was yours to sell or not to sell. As you wish, this was given to you. But you are offering it to God and saying you're giving everything wholeheartedly when in reality you're not. And because of that, you've offended. So as soon as Ananias hears these words he drops everyone who heard about it was terrified <laughs> I would be <clears throat> some of the young men got wrapped up took him out three hours later his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter asked her was the price you and your husband received was it for the land yes she replied he says he said how could the two of you think that conspiring to test the Holy Spirit like this the young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they'll carry you away too she's gone she's gone Lastly, and then we'll close the book. So, it needs to be frightening to me, and it needs to be frightening to you not to obey the Spirit of the Lord when it speaks to you. That needs to be scary. I need to be more fearful in, of being disobedient to the Lord than anything else. Because like any type of relationship, as you begin to respond to the Lord and you begin to lean into him and he begins to speak to you and you begin to do, what he, you're still not going to be perfect. We get that. But as you begin to grow, there's a relationship of trust that is built between you and the Lord. And as you begin to walk in more and more obedience, I believe the Lord begins to trust you with more and more of, of who he is and what he's called you to do so that you can steward it well. But if you got a pattern of if you got a pattern of being flippant, you got a pattern of of saying one thing on Sunday men and and treating women like garbage throughout the rest of the week or using them but you come in and raising your hands and holy holy is the Lord God almighty. Man, you about as good as Nadab and Abihu. Women same thing. You come in here on Sunday and, and raising your hand and worshiping and blah, blah, blah and all this different kind of stuff, but you're backbiting, destroying the character and assassinating the character of people throughout the week. I can't believe they wore that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. Blah, blah, blah. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Right? <laughs> Music man reference. If that's the way you're living your life, you're on that phone call. <laughs> AT&T is listening. I'm just telling you. And you're destroying the character of people. Nadab and Abihu. Profane fire. But you're like, I want more of you, Jesus. You can have it all. Except my mouth. 
which then means my heart because out of the abundance of the heart the what speaks can't escape this stuff you don't just get to read it in a little devotional and be kind of tinged and not be expected to work itself out in your life that's the practical part of holiness is you have now been shown uh, who God is what God has given you and what he expects now he's not going to strike because he's full of grace as well too but there are expectations and I'll just read Peter to you I'll just read it so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control notice he doesn't say exercise anything else of the fruits of the spirit but he's talking about self-control why? put all your hope in gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world so you must live as God's obedient children do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires you didn't know any better then but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say you must be holy because he is holy it's the holiness that he imparts to you through Christ and my response to that is I've now recognized what that holiness means in my life and I'm going to start practically working it out. Which means there's going to be times when I'm going to shut up my mouth in the middle of the, the gab, the talk. There's going to be times when I'm going to turn myself from what my fleshly desires were into the desires of the Spirit. I'm going to pursue those things. Why? Because I've been presented with a choice. And I want to choose him every time. Every time. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.